0: We now come to questions Prime Minister Clive Lewis. Yeah.
1: Question number one, Mr Speaker.
0: Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
2: Clive Lewis. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Two years ago, I raised the case of a Norwich army veteran. In such agony, he was forced to pull out 18 of his own teeth because he could not get access to a dentist. The grim fact is, despite repeated promises from the Prime Minister, Norwich and Norfolk remain dental deserts. So, Mr. Speaker, dentists excel at extracting rotten teeth. So, will the Prime Minister agree with me? The only way my constituents will see results is when this rotten government is extracted from office and replaced with a Labour one.
0: Mr. Mr Speaker, I'm very sorry to hear about the Honourable Gentleman's constituent. With regard to dentistry, he'll know there are record sums going into dentistry and indeed 500 more NHS dentists working today. Because of the contract reforms that we've put in place, 10% more activity can happen and DHSE are currently talking about reforming the dentist contract with the presidents in practice to increase activity further. Thank you, Mr
3: Speaker.
0: My constituent Gordon, unfortunately, has been suffering, receiving cancer treatment at the Mount Vernon Hospital, which will soon fall within Sadiq Khan's new book boundaries.
1: As Gordon continues his daily treatment, he will now be expected to pay £12.50 a charge or buy a new compliant vehicle. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the British people already have enough on without Labour's <laughs> London Mayor stretching household budgets further? TfL finances,
0: Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I am sorry to hear of my Honourable Friend's constituent Gordon and I send him my best wishes. He will know that transport in London is devolved to the Labour Mayor, who is expanding the zone against the overwhelming views of residents and businesses. And what's more, his plan to raise costs for hardworking families is totally backed by the Leader of the Opposition. Perhaps he can now tell us why. I don't think he's responsible for the questions. We
2: now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I thank all those who took part in the coronation celebrations over the weekend? And can I also take this chance to wish all the very best to my brilliant and talented constituent, May Muller, who is representing the UK Eurovision in Liverpool this weekend? The whole country is behind you, May. Now, Mr. Speaker, this time last week, the Prime Minister had to correct the record mm-hmm. on misleading claims he made about employment numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Can he provide a further update? Mm-hmm. Now he's cost a thousand Tory councillors their jobs. <laughs>
3: it's, uh, Mr.
0: Speaker. Mr. Mr. Speaker, let me pass on my best wishes to May as well for this weekend, Eurovision. Uh, with regard to the local elections, Mr. Speaker, maybe I can just offer the honourable gentleman a tiny bit of advice from one of his predecessors from one of, one, one of his predecessors, one of, one of his predecessors, Tony Blair, who I was reading the other day. To, what did Tony Blair? He said He said, "The right honourable gentleman can be as cocky as he likes about the local elections come a general election, policy counts yeah. and, and we know Mr. Speaker yeah. uh, the, the, the
2: problem for him is he doesn't have any yeah. I, the Prime Minister said he was going to lose a thousand seats and then he managed it yeah. after 13 years, a Tory promise they actually haven't broken. Yeah. And this is the Prime Minister who's only had to fight for two things in his life. Last year, he lost a Tory beauty contest right. to the member for South West Norfolk, yeah. who then lost to a lettuce. To a lettuce. Yeah. Last week, when he finally came into contact with voters, yeah. he lost everywhere. Yeah. No matter who the electorate is, the Prime Minister keeps entering a two horse race yeah. and somehow finishing third. Yeah. Given his track record, who does he think he's actually got a mandate from, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Speaker? It's a bit rich to hear about mandates from the person who's broken
0: every single promise he was elected on. I mean, go through the list, Mr. Speaker: nationalisations, NHS outsourcing, universal credit, and now tuition fees. He was, Mr. Speaker, he was for them all before he was against them. He's not. He's not just the softy. He's the flaky too.
2: Mr. Speaker, I can understand why the Prime Minister is trying to wish away his terrible results, but peddling nonsense just doesn't work. Up and down the country, people want the government to focus on the cost of living, but he's got no answers. Is he planning to carry on as if nothing happened and ignore the message he was sent last week? Or is he going to do what a Labour government would do and announce an immediate freeze in council tax bills? Mr. 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 Speaker,
0: Mr. Speaker, I know know he's asked his Labour councillors rightly to focus on the cost of living. Perhaps they could start with reducing council tax to the level in Conservative-run areas. Mr. Speaker. We're getting on with halving people's energy bills, freezing fuel duty to help them with the cost of living. What is stopping him having a plan is that unfortunately his Shadow Chancellor recently said she's discovered she's got a problem, Mr Speaker. She realised, she realised that she actually is what she said, she actually has to shock horror, say where the money's going to come from. With a £90 billion black hole in her plans, she's got a lot of work to do!
2: It's just me, there's only one party that broke the economy and they're sitting right there! And and it seems seems to me, to quote one of his more electorally successful predecessors nothing has changed. Still blaming other people, still refusing to take the necessary action, still not listening to the country. Yes. And On council tax it is quite simple. A Labour government would give every council the grant they need to freeze those bills, fully paid for by ending the handouts he giving to oil and gas giants. So I ask him again. Now his plan has been utterly rejected. Why won't he do the same?
3: Yeah. I'm
2: I'm finished, just, Mr Speaker, just a quick a quick history lesson. While he, was
0: busy, while he was busy softening sentences 13 years ago, let me just remind him what we inherited. It was the largest deficit in the G7 from Labour. Higher unemployment. The coffers were totally empty. And it didn't stop there, Mr Speaker. After that, they wanted a longer lockdown. And now, now... They won't even oppose the picketers and the protesters, Mr Speaker. E- e- even in opposition, they're damaging the economy.
3: He's
2: just not listening, is he? Even after the entire country—from Mr. Speaker, from the Peak District to the Garden of England—rejected his government last yeah. week, yeah. he still thinks that protecting oil and gas profits is more important than freezing bills. Yeah. Now, I'm sure the Prime Minister must finally have met some working people in recent weeks. Did any of them understand why he insists on protecting his precious non-dom tax status rather than scrapping it and using the money to train thousands of doctors and nurses? Well,
0: Mr. Speaker, he, he said that this money would fund the NHS workforce, but that plan was actually looked at by one of his own colleagues recently. Now, now that person said that it would discourage doctors and nurses from coming here, and that there was a two billion pound there was a two billion pound shortfall in his sums. Who said that? It was Alistair Darling. He he might remember those days. It's when Labour bankrupted the economy.
2: I think that is the definition of nonsense. This is the price of having a tired, worn-out government fronted by a Prime Minister who boasts he's never had a working-class friend. He's smiling his way through the cost-of-living crisis, gloating about success while waiting lists grow. He's pretending that crime, house-building, schools are all just doing fine, while handing the country 24 tax rises, all with his name on them. How does he think the Tories can possibly provide the answers Britain needs when the whole country has already told him they're the problem, not the solution? Mr. Speaker, the, the honourable
0: gentleman is right. We all do say some silly things when we're younger. I was a teenager, and he'll he'll know what I'm talking about because I think in his 40s he was still talking about abolishing the monarchy. Mr. <laughs> Speaker. It's the, it's the same old guff from him every week, Mr. Speaker. All politics and no action. We're getting on with halving people's energy bills, freezing fuel duty, cutting the costs of car care, and boosting pay. While he's while he's busy plotting coalitions, we're getting on and delivering for the British people.
4: Mr Speaker, this Saturday is Surrey Day, a chance for locals and visitors to celebrate everything wonderful about our county, including our beautiful historic High Street in Guildford with its independent shops. But frequently raised with me is empty shops. High rents with high business rates makes it difficult for independent retailers to compete with national chains. Does my right hon. Friend agree with me that this Government must do everything it can to support our high streets as part of our plan to boost economic growth?
0: Yeah. 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 Mr Speaker, my hon. Friend is absolutely right about the importance of high streets for local communities, not just in Surrey but around the country. That's why we are abolishing business rates for hundreds of thousands of eligible businesses in the retail, hospitality, and leisure sector and investing billions of pounds through the High Streets Fund and our Towns Fund to support local communities up and down the country.
2: SMP spokesperson Stephen Flynn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. If the Prime Minister was to go to the boot of his Land Rover and pull out some placards, Which said save our non doms, would he expect to be arrested by the police?
0: (laughs) Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, can I first put on record my thanks to the police for all their hard work over the weekend ensuring that the coronation was a success. Now look on, on this issue, Mr Speaker, we believe the police should have powers to make sure that they can protect the public from unnecessary and serious disruption. I respectfully recognise that the honourable gentleman disagrees with our position. I guess the question for both of us is what does the honourable Leader of the Opposition think about this?
1: Because it's quite hard to keep up. Can, can, I, can I just remind the Prime Minister? It's the Prime Minister's questions for him to answer. Not asking not, not for what the opposition is doing. Stephen Flynn.
2: Mr. Mr. Speaker, what what we're talking about here is that nurses strike, doctors strike, firefighters strike, protest, firefighters protest, and of course, course Republicans protest as well. And they do so because it's a fundamental right within our democracy to be able to protest. So is the Prime Minister seriously saying that moving forward, you can have your rights, but only on his terms? Mr Speaker, it is also the right of the British
0: public to be able to go about their ordinary day-to-day lives without undue serious disruption. That's why it's right that the police have extra powers. I suspect that the Honourable Gentleman disagrees with that, but we think it is right, and people will see every day, every day, on TV, their lives being disrupted. They're not able to get to school, to get to hospital appointments, and indeed, to get to work. They should be able to do that, and the police should have powers to stop those who are preventing that from happening. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It was an honour to welcome the Australian Prime Minister to Barrow last week so he could meet some of our fantastic apprentices, see the submarine programme and reaffirm his commitment to the AUKUS programme that will deliver thousands
2: of jobs in my constituency and keep our nation safe. But what was a national endeavour is now an international one and it's going to require a whole-of-government approach to get it over the line and deliver it well. So with that in mind, could I invite my right hon. Friend to Barrow to
0: see the programme for himself and also to meet with me to see how we can best leverage the opportunities from this for the people of Barrow for generations to come? Well, my hon. Friend is a fantastic advocate for his local industry and community. And he's right, the SSN Orcas submarines will be built in Barrow, the home of the British submarine industry. It will create thousands of new jobs, not just in Barrow but across the UK. That's why the Government is investing billions to modernise the enterprise, and I look forward to taking him up on his invitation. David. Mr Speaker, last week many lifelong Conservative voters turned to the Liberal Democrats to be their strong local champions. They delivered their verdict on the
2: Government's failure to hold water companies to account for dumping raw sewage into our rivers and onto our beaches? Last year, water bosses were paid £15 million in bonuses, rewarded for destroying our precious natural environment. Three of those
0: executives have now turned down their bonuses, but they should never have been entitled
2: to them in the first place. So will the Prime Minister ban these sewage bonuses? Come on. So that the d- dumping actually stops.
0: Yeah. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, I I struggle to hear the full the full question, but I, I think it, I think in one sense it's one sense in one sense it doesn't really matter because we all know the Liberal Democrats say one thing here and another thing locally anyway. It's, um, I wonder he's attracted to the Labour leader these days, Mr Speaker, political opportunism and a broken promise on tuition fees. It must be like looking in the mirror. Yeah! Ben Bradley. Ben Bradley. the to highlight some success with Mansfield District Council now having more Conservative councillors than at any point in my lifetime yeah! after last week's local elections. I'm very proud of our local team but one thing we heard on the doorstep was frustration um, frustration and expectation that government needs to deliver on key pledges. There has been a commitment to our part of the world that we will be given the clout, the investment to catch up with other regions that historically have had more than we have had. So will the Prime Minister take the opportunity to reiterate his commitment and to my constituents, reassure them that he will support growth and investment in the East Midlands? Well, Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is a tireless advocate for the East Midlands. And in particular, I welcome the devolution deal that has been agreed among the four local authorities in the region, something I know my hon. Friend has campaigned for. And Like him, I look forward to those new devolved institutions being established as soon as possible to drive economic growth in his community. Caroline Lucas.
4: Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has previously declared, and I quote, my daughter is the climate change champion in our house. I wonder if he's asked her what she thinks about Rosebank, the biggest undeveloped oil field in the North Sea, which would blow climate targets, create more emissions than 28 of the world's poorest countries combined, involve the obscene transfer of £4 billion of taxpayers' money to a Norwegian energy firm, Equinor, and do nothing for energy security since the vast majority of the oil will be exported. If he gives it the green light, will he be able to look his daughter in the eye? and honestly say that he has done everything in his power to give her and all other young people a livable future. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Mr. Mr Speaker, as the Independent Committee for Climate Change has acknowledged, we will need fossil fuels for the next few decades as we transition to a greener future. And During that period, it makes absolutely no sense to not invest in the resources we have here at home to import foreign fossil fuels not create jobs here and import them at twice the carbon emissions as our local resources. It is an economically illiterate policy, Mr Speaker, but that's what you'd expect from the Green Party.
2: George, Usters. George Usters. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last June, the Government uh, committed to bring forward a horticulture strategy to identify ways to expand uh, British production of horticulture. And the importance of this was underlined by some of the supply chain challenges we saw earlier this spring. But in the last week, there's been speculation that the Government might be abandoning that strategy. Can the Prime Minister give us any reassurance that the Government remains committed to expanding this important British industry?
0: Prime Minister, well, can I thank my honourable friend for all of his work championing this area? We are delivering for the horticulture sector, and it will benefit from the £168 million investment to drive innovation and support fruit production. And that's why we also passed the new Genetic Technology Act, Mr. Speaker, taking advantage of our Brexit opportunities to unlock the potential of new technologies. But I look forward to discussing this and other ideas at our new upcoming food summit.
4: Julie Elliott. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Has the Prime Minister or any of his ministers given commitments to BP, Equinor or any other company about contracts at the Teesworks site?
0: Mr Speaker, contracts at the site would be a commercial matter for the companies involved.
1: Mr Speaker, our farmers provide our food and our countryside's future but there's concern among some Oxfordshire farmers that the new schemes under DEFRA's Agricultural Transition Plan aren't ready for farmers to access them to make up the shortfall from the basic payment scheme Will my right honourable friend push his colleagues in DEFRA to roll out the rest of the SFI standards as soon as possible and to consider double stacking SFI and countryside stewardship payments to ensure that Oxfordshire's
2: farmers get the support they need
0: well, Mr. Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for his question, and of course, we want to make sure that we continue to support farmers to produce healthy, nutritious food. We are pressing ahead with the Elm scheme, fine-tuning them though to make sure that they work even better for farmers. We want to make sure there's enough flexibility in the sustainable farming initiatives, and that's why DEFRA have designed the schemes with farmers in mind, enabling them to do more. And to make sure that they can use countryside stewardship schemes on the same plots of land. But I look forward to discussing this with him and other colleagues as well.
2: Alan Smith.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In Stirling, we've got a really potentially very exciting development at Forsyth on former Ministry of Defence land. And sadly, the development's got a bit stuck over a dispute about the costs of the decontamination of that land. Now, I'll work with anybody to get a result for Stirling. Will the Prime Minister meet with me and representatives of Stirling Council? to get this development unblocked and make the progress we all want to see. Yeah.
2: Prime Minister,
0: well, uh, Mr Speaker, we have invested in Stirling previously to unlock investment and drive growth, and I will ensure that the Honourable Gentleman gets the meeting he needs with a relevant Minister to make progress.
2: Well, or... The Prime Minister and I
0: share a profound optimism about the power of technology, and AI in particular has the power to revolutionise public services and our private sector as well. But does he agree with me that it comes with risks? And while there are uh, unrealistic calls to pause research into it altogether, it is crucial for us to work with our allies around the world so that the global norms that emerge in this important area reflect our values. Well, my, uh, my honourable friend speaks with experience and knowledge on this issue, and I absolutely agree with the thrust of his question. Uh, whilst it would be implausible and wrong to halt the development of this technology, it is right that we ensure that there are appropriate guardrails in place as we look to exploit its opportunities. Those are the conversations we are having, not just with the companies involved, but also with our allies around the world, and he can expect further progress in the coming weeks and months.
1: Mike Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, following on from his earlier answer, the, as the Prime Minister knows, an Eat Out to Help Out scheme was introduced in August 2020, which increased demand for eating in restaurants by some 216% compared to 2019, with figures now showing that over 17,500 retail chain stores closed in 2020, alone, affecting nearly 35,000 employees. Would or has the Prime Minister considered a similar scheme for bricks and mortar retail, bricks versus clicks, if you like, as part of the wider plan for regenerating local high streets and town centres.
0: Well, Prime Minister, it, Mr Speaker, the way that we are supporting high streets and town centres is through making sure that we cut business rates in England. Obviously the Scottish Government will receive the consequentials from those actions, but now hundreds of thousands of local businesses on our high streets don't pay any business rates at all. Uh, and on top of that, through the Leveling Up Fund, Towns Fund, and others, we're investing directly in local communities. Indeed, in his own, where I know council leaders described our investment of £19 million as very welcome and a real boost for the economic recovery.
4: Maggie, through. Thank you, Mr. Speaker,
1: yeah. my yeah, Redwall right, yeah. friend
4: recently scored a very rare own goal by in stop. Stockton Football Club in the Northern Premier League East Playoff Final, which eventually saw Long Eaton United win on penalties. In the interest of good sportsmanship, will he now congratulate Ian Deakin and his team on their resounding victory? Wish Long Eaton United every success in the, uh, in the league for next season and join me at Grange Park to uh, cheer on Long Eaton United. Uh, for the next season and wish luck every season in the
0: future. Yeah, well, Mr. Speaker, can I join my honourable friend in congratulating her local football team and all involved in their stunning success? Uh, I'm not sure I'll better to join her in the immediate future, but I do look forward to seeing them go from strength to strength, uh, much as the fortunes of my own team, sadly, uh, are not in the place I would like them to
1: be. Jamie Stone. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister may well have seen the astonishing sight of a former Scottish Government minister standing up in the chamber of the Scottish Parliament and tearing up, literally ripping into pieces, the Scottish Government's highly protected marine area proposal. This proposal is deeply controversial all over Scotland and has even led to it being compared with his second Highland Clearances. Is this not now the time, is this not now the time for the UK <laughs> Government to step in and work with the devolved— <laughs> Mr. Speaker, I will not be silenced because it
3: matters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This matters deeply to my constituents. Deeply. Is it not time for the UK government to step in, work with with the devolved administrations to come up with a scheme that works and is acceptable, a conservation scheme that is acceptable (coughs) in our fishing communities all around the UK?
0: My, uh, the, the, Honourable, the Honourable Gentleman makes uh, an excellent point and he is a passionate champion as he should be for his local fishing communities and he's right to highlight the concerns that have been raised not just by them but by members of the SNP's own party about the potentially damaging impact of their plans to introduce the highly protected marine areas in the way that they are. I would encourage the SNP Government to continue working with the Scottish fishing industry and coastal communities to understand their concerns and as we've seen them recently, u turn on other poor, thought-out decisions. Hopefully they can re-look at this one too. The United Kingdom has a strong, deep, multi-dimensional relationship with Pakistan. and There are over 1.5 million British Pakistanis here, and many of them are dual nationals, as am I. The Prime Minister will have seen the scenes coming out from Pakistan, the civil unrest where people have lost their lives due to the detention of the Prime Minister Imran Khan. There are real concerns about the circumstances of his detention and the right to have a fair trial. The United Kingdom has in the past sent observers to hearings around the world to ensure natural justice is done. Has the Prime Minister considered that? If not, will he consider it? Well, Mr. Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for his question. The UK, of course, has a long standing and close relationship with Pakistan, and this weekend, especially as Commonwealth partners. The arrest of the former Prime Minister is an internal matter for Pakistan. We support peaceful, democratic processes and adherence to the rule of law, and we are monitoring the situation carefully.
2: Harris. Thank, thank you, Mr.
4: Speaker. A little boy has gone to school today and shows that don't fit him because his parents can't afford new ones. A little girl had water on her cornflakes because her mum had no money for milk. These are real stories from Faith and Families, a charity in my constituency that deal with poverty every day—poverty that is causing prolonged shame and leading to a mental health crisis. Faith and Families are worried about these kids. I'm worried about these kids. If the Prime Minister is worried about these kids, what's he going to do about it? <laughs>
0: Mr Speaker, we don't want any child to grow up in poverty, and that's why I'm proud that there are one point seven million fewer people living in poverty today than in twenty ten because of the actions of this and previous Conservative government that includes hundreds of thousands of children. And we are providing incredible support to the most vulnerable in our society as we speak. Just last week, the first of our cost-of-living payments went out, £900, to help the most vulnerable families in our society. Those are our values, and we will keep supporting them as the inflation remains high. Alan uh,
2: Speaker. Earlier in questions, the Leader of the Opposition sought to draw attention to Council tax rates and Council tax increases. Uh, and offering some crocodile tears in the process. Yeah. Can I draw attention to the, uh, uh, to the Prime Minister's attention that, whereas we have seen 43% increase in Council tax rates since 2010 in England, the increase in Wales has been a staggering 67%. Oh.
3: So Therefore,
2: is it not the case we should be looking at what Labour do rather than what Labour say?
3: Yeah.
0: My right hon. Friend makes an excellent point. The Leader of the Opposition is very fond in telling us that Labour in Wales is his blueprint for how he would like to run the country. And as we've seen, all it means is higher bills for hard-working British families.
2: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over the last two years, the Drax Power Station in Yorkshire has, on average, burned almost 20. Thousand tonnes of trees every single day, releasing an equivalent amount of carbon into the atmosphere. During that time, whilst our constituents have struggled with their heating bills, the private company running Drax has received £1.5 million of subsidy through the government's energy policy every single day. This is set to continue until 2027. Can I ask the Prime Minister? Will he step in and review this grotesque distortion of energy policy which incentivises deforestation whilst making no contribution to tackling the climate emergency. Mr Speaker,
0: while not being able to comment on the contract details of one particular company, what I can say is that our record on this issue is that, since the benchmark was established, emissions in this country have fallen by almost 50 per cent, whilst at the same time we have grown the economy by two-thirds—not something I know the SNP Government is as focused on as we are—but at the same time, because of the way that we regulate uh, new and renewable energies we've seen the price of renewables like offshore wind decline from 140 pounds an hour to around 40 that shows a regulatory system that is working in delivering lower cost renewable energy for british families
1: costa thank you mr speaker plastic pollution is a scourge of modern day society my 10 minute rule bill seeks to have microfiber microplastic filters fitted in all commercial and domestic washing machines, legislation which France and other countries have already moved forward with. Will the Prime Minister, who has already done an enormous amount in tackling plastic pollution, will he organize a meeting between me and the stakeholders, particularly washing machine manufacturers, with the Secretary of State to discuss this very
0: important issue? Well, Mr Speaker, we want to tackle microplastic pollution wherever possible, which is why we introduced a microbead ban and a tax on plastic bags. I know my hon. Friend has campaigned for filters on washing machines, but he will also know they can be costly to install. DEFRA have outlined plans to make sure that we can use more filters, but I will ensure that he gets the meeting that he needs with the relevant minister to discuss this important matter further.
2: Stephen Morgan. Thank you Mr Speaker. The government ditching its pledge to recruit six thousand more GPs is yet another example of the Tories overpromising and under-delivering. With teacher recruitment targets missed and housing pledges shelved, why does the Prime Minister think that the only target he's actually met was the loss of a thousand Tory councillors last week?
0: Maybe the Honourable Gentleman can tell us which of the many promises that the Leader of the Opposition made to him when he was campaigning he's most happy that he's u turned on. John Hayes!
1: Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Lincolnshire's roads, foodstuffs grown in our fine county are transported across the nation. The Highways Authority struggles to fund roads because of the skewed funding formula devised by a previous Labour. Government, so many, so many of our public services suffer, policing included. So Will the Prime Minister agree to urgently review the local government funding formula, the police funding formula, so that Lincolnshire can have a fair deal?
0: Well, my, uh, my right hon. Friend is absolutely right. To stand up for the particular needs of his rural community. and Like him, I recognise that rural areas do often have higher costs of providing services. It's right that those are reflected where we can in funding formulas, but I'll make sure that he gets a meeting with a relevant minister to discuss this important matter further.
4: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 13,450 prepayment metre vouchers have gone unclaimed in my Glasgow central constituency at a value of over £887,000. Across Scotland, £16.5 million is unclaimed. The Prime Minister's Energy Bill support scheme is failing if money, which could be helping our vulnerable constituents, is resting in his government's account. Our recall is not very familiar with how prepayment metres work, but what will he do to ensure that every single penny gets out of government coffers and into the metres of those who really need it?
0: Well, Mr. Speaker, I'm grateful that the hon. Lady for a change acknowledged the support that the government is providing to families up and down the country. Particular attention was given in designing those schemes to how to get the support to prepayment metres. Ministers are always engaged with stakeholders to make sure that there is awareness of those schemes, and I'll make sure that we keep up those efforts so that people do get the help that they need and deserve.
1: David Morris. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Mr
0: Speaker, it's very interesting that the Leader of the Opposition says about keeping council tax low when the Labour Party voted to increase Morecambe Town Council from historically £400,000 £200,000 to £2 million. So on that basis, I'd like to meet with the Prime Minister um, to see where we can find government time to cap parish councils from doing this sort of abhorrent behaviour. Uh, Mr Speaker, my honourable Friend is right to highlight that council tax in labour areas is higher than that in Conservative areas, which is not right at a time when there are pressures on the cost of living. I look forward to meeting him to discuss his plans to keep British families' household bills as low as they can be.
1: John Speller. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Dozens of Sudanese doctors who had been working in the NHS were stranded and not allowed to return here.
2: Last week, the Minister told us here that the Prime Minister took the decision to get them back. So, why hadn't such a straightforward decision been made much earlier by the Home Secretary or the Foreign Secretary? Is it because he's an obsessive micromanager, or is it that his ministers are
1: just not up to the job? Which one is it, Prime Minister? Mr.
2: Speaker,
0: the the Honourable Gentleman is completely wrong to describe as straightforward a complex and dangerous evacuation in a war zone. And actually, it it is actually the case that everyone involved deserves enormous credit for conducting what was the longest and largest evacuation of any Western country from Sudan. During that process, it was right that we moved deliberately and carefully to ensure the security of everyone involved and to prioritise British nationals and their dependents. Now that the operation is complete, we can look back and thank everyone for what was an incredibly successful
1: operation. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Dr Luke Evans. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Since 2010, violent crime has dropped by 38% and neighbourhood crime has dropped by over 50%. But one crime that has gone up is fraud. Now many of us have dealt with constituents who have struggled with fraud. What is the Prime Minister going to do about it? Prime Minister. Well, it, Mr Speaker, my hon. Friend is absolutely right, 40% of all crime now is fraud. It's damaging for people's well-being as well as harming their finances, which is why the Home Secretary and I just recently launched a new plan to combat fraud with significant new investment, hundreds of new officers to tackle it, and action on social media companies to empower people to take action and to stop fraud happening in the first place. It represents the most comprehensive plan to tackle this issue, and it will make a big difference to families everywhere.
2: final question Sella
4: Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Friday, a young man with brilliant potential, who was 16, Rennell Charles, was brutally murdered on his way out from school in my constituency in Walthamstow. Yesterday, a 16-year-old boy was charged with his murder. Rennell's family are heartbroken. Children in my community—
1: this is sub to Cicel, rather than murder detest.
4: What I'm saying is those children are terrified to go to school. Their parents are frightened to let them and the teachers are at their wits' end. They've asked me to come here today, Prime Minister, to beg you to make the epidemic of youth crime in our country a <coughs> national priority. So will the Prime Minister meet with myself and representatives from my local community to talk about how we can get the mental health and mentoring support these young people need true. so that every young person in our country has that future they deserve. Well,
0: Mr. Speaker, I hope my uh, honourable friend, I know the whole House will join me in expressing our sympathies and condolences to Ronell's family for what's happened. She's absolutely right, we should do everything we can to tackle violence and murders against young people in particular. I am pleased that knife crime has fallen by almost 10% and serious violence has fallen by 24% uh, in the last few years. That is because we are giving the police the powers they need, whether that is stop or search, increasing jail terms and confiscating around 90,000 weapons. Of course we will always look to do more to make sure that our streets are safe for our young people.